0: Father in heaven, we hear again this week, as we will next week, words that are challenging and hard. Many of us probably hard to accept, certainly hard to live out. So Lord, we cry out for the help of your spirit to not shut our ears and our hearts and minds today. Enable me to speak in a way that's truthful and faithful and helpful and that we might be empowered by your spirit to listen to hear, to believe what we read and hear and to obey it. The power of your spirit, for the glory of your name. Amen. Ever since I was a boy in primary school, justice and fairness have always been really important to me. Someone was getting unfairly treated, I'd want to speak up or stop it. If I was being unfairly treated, whether by one of my brothers, a friend or a bully at school, I'd struggle with that. As we heard in the kids' talk, I'd want to get even. If I got blamed for something I didn't do, I'd want to do all I could to be vindicated. And Even still, when I watch movies, I get angered by abuse and injustice, and I long to see justice done and good triumph over evil. Someone bearing an un- unjust punishment is something I find really hard. So the teaching here today and the example of Jesus pushes me out of my comfort zone and challenges me, and maybe it does you too. Last week in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, God's word said, live honorably among unbelievers so that when they slander you as evildoers, they'll see your good works and glorify God when he comes. Peter, inspired by the Spirit, said, submit to all human authorities and do good. And it's God's will to silence the foolish by doing good, verse 15. He writes to people, free people, he said, didn't he? Those who've been set free spiritually, free from sin and death through faith in Jesus. It's good to keep these things in mind, for that is the context of what we're looking at today. And as Peter continues this theme of submission and doing good, he focuses on not the rich and influential and powerful, the lowest and weakest in the social order, the slaves. And that's our first point this morning. Slaves be willing to suffer unjustly. Verse 18, household slaves submit to your masters with all reverence. In the first century Roman Empire, as much as a third of all people were slaves. Many more had been slaves in the past. But when we read of slaves, our minds likely go to the horrible African slave trade of the 16th to the 19th centuries. In the first century, in Peter's day, slavery was somewhat different. It wasn't based on race or colour Slaves could be educated, have positions of leadership, and be managers, accountants, physicians. Or they could be cleaning out the animal mess. Or they could own property. Some of them could purchase their freedom. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 21, Paul says to slaves, if you can be free, take the opportunity. To seek freedom by lawful means. But still... Slaves were viewed as property. Their lives were often miserable. The Australian newspaper last week reported a recent find. Slaves' quarters have been dug up in Pompeii. It was covered when Mount Vesuvius erupted in 79 AD, so just after when Peter's writing. And these pictures, they show a small room, which was the home of three people and their work storeroom. Uh, of three slaves. They cared for a horse and chariot, and the horse equipment was kept with them uh, in their small room. It's not much room to live or move in there, is there? The Slaves had little opportunity to make their own choices. There was no freedom. Their, their treatment depended entirely on their owner, who could beat or whip them cruelly, and the law did not protect them. They were property. And they could be treated as things. And it is to them, mind you, to these lowly human beings that that Peter writes. And he writes to them first. Let's notice that he starts with the lowest. And he teaches them to, encourages them to follow Jesus. And by speaking to them first, he communicates that they are significant in the congregation. You see, in their powerlessness, the gospel empowers them. Peter says, they are the examples that we should follow. It's amazing. But then comes the bombshell, I think. Submit to your masters, verse 18, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. While Christian slaves were free from sin's punishment and power by God, they were not yet free from their earthly masters, and their masters, as we're told, could be good or cruel. Horribly, a slave could be beaten without limits, without accountability. There was nothing a slave could do, no law to appeal to, no authority or police to run to. You flee, you're just going to be killed. You'd feel so powerless. And in this situation, Peter says, verse 19, If you're conscious of God, remembering what God has done for you in Christ, the life he calls you to, the hope of glory that you have, then you can endure unjust suffering. Put up with it, he says, knowing that it brings favour. Favour doesn't mean that you earn God's favour and earn salvation by it. Literally, it's the word for grace. So endure the grief of unjust suffering because it's an expression of grace and it pleases God. As the New International Version, the NIV puts it, it's commendable. Peter elaborates in verse 20, if you get punished or or beaten for doing wrong and you take it, if you take that punishment bravely, calmly, patiently, well, you don't deserve praise for that. He deserved it. But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it bravely, patiently, then this is commendable before God. It pleases God. And enduring unjust suffering will actually show power, the power of your self-control, your love for your enemy. But more than that, the power of your God who you trust in, the power of God's grace to strengthen you, in the face of that. So the slave will be a silent witness to God's grace in their actions. I don't know why Peter doesn't go on to speak directly to masters, but to correctly interpret a passage, we always interpret Scripture with Scripture. Colossians chapter 4 in the New Testament says, Masters that are to treat their slaves justly, fairly, not harshly, same as in Ephesians 6, treat them in ways without threatening them. God certainly cares about and he will hold masters accountable for their actions, but but Peter here wants to focus on on the gospel motivation, the the Jesus' reason for their unjust suffering. And that brings us to our, our second point, Jesus suffered unjustly. Having just said, it pleases God if you slaves choose to endure unjust treatment. Peter says, verse 21, For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And we're told that Jesus' unjust suffering, it's an example, but it's also saving. First, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow. In directing us to Jesus' example, Peter turns to Isaiah 53. Suffering servant of Isaiah 53, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, we're told, did not sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. But what, what example did Jesus give when he was arrested? When he was falsely accused, when he was blasphemed, when he was beaten by the Sanhedrin in Mark 14, the Roman soldiers then flogged him and tore up his back. They spat on him, mocked him, and nailed him to a wooden cross, Mark 15. And in Jesus' words and actions, even when he was innocent and undeserving of all of that, he did not sin. In 1 Peter 2, 22, verse 23, with his words, he did not deceive or lie. As we heard in the kids' talk, when abuse was heaped on him, he did not insult back. When he suffered, he didn't threaten people. So there was, from him, there was no sinning, no hurting, no hating, no threatening with his words. So Jesus gives slaves, he gives all of us the the perfect example to follow. And please let's understand that he endured the most unjust suffering, being sinless. And he did it because he entrusted his life to God, was trusting in God's plans, God would judge justly. He sought the good of others, undeserving people. He trusted that God would do rights, raise him from the dead. And not getting revenge, not getting even with hurtful words, hateful deeds, that was an example Peter says slaves are to follow. But Jesus gives more than a good example. His suffering and dying is more than an example for it saves. Secondly, Jesus' suffering saves. In this classic and Wonderful statement of the atonement in verse twenty four we read, don't we he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that, having died to sins, he might live, we might live for righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed, because Jesus never sinned that enabled him. To bear our sins. On the the cross, he bore our sins. The, The punishment for our sins was laid and lumped upon him. Deuteronomy 21, verse 23 says that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that points to Jesus, who was hung on a cross, a wooden cross, and was cursed for us, suffering our judgment, the judgment we deserved. In our place. He suffered hell for us. The just punishment for our sins. And quoting Isaiah 53 verse 5, Jesus' wounds heal us. What transformative and comforting words to the slave who has been unfairly beaten by their master for doing no wrong. For the slave who has wounds Weeping blood. In Jesus comes this promise of healing. By the stripes of his flogging, by his piercings, by the punishment for our sins that was laid on him to death, he heals us. He heals our broken relationship with God, forgives our sins which separated us from God, This is only for those who put their faith and trust in him. So I ask you this morning, is Jesus your saviour and lord? If you've not turned to him and trusted him with all your heart so that he's lord of your life, then you miss out. The only ones healed and saved are those who have Christ as their saviour and their shepherd. But you can turn to him today and trust him today. Only he never sinned and can save us from our sins and the just judgment that we all deserve in hell. And if we've relied on Jesus to save us, we may endure the wounds of living in a fallen world and the wounds from unjust suffering. But God promises full and forever healing. Not always now, but when we're given new, immortal bodies in heaven. Brothers and sisters, how good is that going to be? Perfect and forever healing. How good is that going to be? What a huge thing, a momentous hope that would give a suffering slave and a wonderful truth it's a momentous hope for for you in your suffering Jesus is the one who saves and forgives and yes will one day heal and through him also comes belonging verse 25 for we belong to the great shepherd We're we're all like sheep who've gone astray and wandered off We've not followed in the great shepherd's steps. We've been selfish and sinful. Too often we hurt back with our words. We hit back with our actions. Like I was guilty of with my brothers many a time as a child, seeking to get even. And he's the good shepherd who laid down his life for, for me, sheep, and he now guides me as my shepherd and says that living my way is best. Living his way is best. And his, living his way, it's expressed in verse 24, that, that we dive, we've died to sins that we might live for righteousness. We've died to sin's power and its punishment. We've been forgiven and justified. That means we're right with God. And now our justification, being right with God, it flows into sanctification. It results in sanctification. These two things are connected. Christ died not only to justify us, but to sanctify us. So we could and we would live God's way, live for righteousness, following Jesus' steps. And part of us following Jesus as his sheep his disciple, is being willing to suffer like Jesus. Suffer unjustly too. And so point three is, are we willing to suffer unjustly? Peter is firstly talking to slaves here. By the grace of God, we're not slaves. We're free people who on the whole, I think, believe we have rights that can mean that we think that we're entitled. That can make it harder for us. For like me, many of us, we hate suffering, especially unjust suffering, and it's not fair. And then again, there's some people who are happy to inflict suffering. Sadly, this passage is one of those used by church-going abusers to justify their abuse. Can I say clearly and categorically that this passage does not justify cruelty, mistreatment, or abuse? The Presbyterian Church of Victoria is firmly opposed to all forms of abuse. And as our denomination's statement on domestic and family violence says, any attempt to twist the biblical teaching to satisfy, to satisfy, Sorry, let me start again. The statement says, any attempt to twist the biblical teaching to tacitly sanction domestic violence or abuse is a gross perversion of the Bible's teaching. The statement and much more to it can be found on the PCV Safe Church website. Peter was writing to slaves who had no power to change their situation. No legal avenues to turn to. Encourage them to remember Jesus to follow his example of being willing to suffer unjustly. That does not in any way justify or excuse the behaviour of those cruel masters who will be judged for their own sins. And for a person today, whether a boss, a parent, a spouse, a woman or a man, To use scripture to justify their sin is offensive. It is spiritual abuse. Abuse can be sexual, physical, emotional or verbal, social, financial and or psychological. And abusers who interpret scripture through a clouded, self-serving lens distort the biblical truth and squeeze out the greatest commandments to love God And love others. I recommend Steve Hopp's article, A Hidden Epidemic That God Hates, on the Gospel Coalition website. I'm going to say more about this in regard to marriage next week, but abuse is sinful, and escape from it is not sinful. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus and, sorry, when an enraged crowd from the synagogue wanted to hurt and hurl Jesus off a cliff, didn't allow it, but he walked right through them and he went away. When Jews wanted to kill Paul in Acts 9.24, he fled and escaped. When he was arrested in Jerusalem in Acts 22, the Romans were about to flog him without a trial. Paul appealed to his Roman citizenship, to the law. Later, when Peter stood before Governing, When Paul stood before Governor Felix, he appealed to Caesar. We see here the apostle using the law for his protection and his purposes. If you're being abused, don't retaliate. Don't sin back. You can entrust yourself to the God who judges justly. While still speaking up, seeking help, whether that help is from a friend, a a Christian leader, safe church units, or by ringing 1-800-RESPECT. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan helped his friend David flee and escape from a harmful, life-threatening situation as from Saul's murderous jealousy and hatred. Like that in love, we should seek to help and advocate for and protect those in danger too. May I say I thank God too for organizations like International Justice Mission, IJM, who are seeking to stop slavery in our world today. With those qualifiers, I want to bring us back to the main points and to challenge us with the, the teaching of 1 Peter chapter 2. Our Lord Jesus suffered unjustly to save us from our sins and to set us an example to follow. We're not to take revenge, not hurt back. We're not to hit back or yell back, but love and patiently endure. Will you be willing to suffer unjustly and do it because Jesus did that for you? As your choice. Following the example of Jesus in your home, school, your workplace, it's going to mean not lying, even to protect yourself, not threatening, not insulting in your words, not retaliating, not getting even. It might mean when someone at school or home calls you names, you don't call them names back. You don't get them back some other way either. You endure it you endure it, and you patiently put up with it. And I know that hurts. No, it's really hard. And yes, if the bullying continues or worsens, seek advice, speak up. The point is, though, revenge and retaliating is not OK. Maybe maybe you, your spouse has had a really hard day. They're overwhelmed by stress. they raise their voice get impatient, even angry. Maybe you bear the brunt of that. You can choose to endure that and like Jesus, not hurt or threaten or insult in return, but forbear in love. I think a marriage needs lots of forbearance. What about at work? Because of the Christian foundation that both Britain and Australia have had, we are blessed to have many laws which protect people's dignity, human dignity and rights. We should be thankful that we have legal protections and that we are not slaves without protection. Personally, there's things like the pandemic bill in Victoria that concern me. Still, we have much to be thankful for. In our workplaces, while sometimes frustrating, we can be thankful for the role of WorkSafe and unions and HR departments which seek people's well-being. And while we may turn to them, let's still apply the principle of enduring forbearance first and not use the law to retaliate or get even. Maybe at work, for example, you're blamed for something you didn't do. You're accused unfairly. You suffer unjustly. How would you respond? You can choose to stay quiet, to not put in a formal complaint. You can choose not to defend yourself or think about my own rights first. How dare they? But instead we can choose to think about Christ and what he went through for us. You can choose to bravely, calmly, patiently endure the hardship, trusting that God will judge justly and follow and please Jesus who endured worse hardship for you. In what context does God want you to not return insult for insult, to not threaten, to not hurt, but be willing to suffer? Scripture encourages slaves and all of us to do good and to be willing to suffer unjustly. I admit, though, brothers and sisters, to be told it's good and commendable to endure unfair suffering, it can seem unbelievable. To be asked to accept injustice without retaliating seems unbelievable. But what was unbelievable was the sinless servant Jesus, the son of God, suffering injustice from sinners. That was unbelievable. And his salvation and the spirit he gives empowers us to do what seems or or feels unbelievable and impossible. The gospel of the Lord Jesus empowered the lowest slaves. And doesn't it empower and inspire us to live his way too? At home, at school, at work, and in our witnessing. I close with this true story from the book. Sorry, I forgot to move forward in my slides. From the book, Jesus Freaks by DC Talk and the Voice of the Martyrs. True story about two 18-year-old girls from the USSR, now Russia, in the 1960s, 1960s. the names are Maria and Varya. The girls had once been schoolmates in a communist boarding school. Varya, a member of the communist youth organisation, had constantly teased and tormented Maria, a Christian, who often prayed for her friend Varya. One day Varia said, I cannot understand what you are. Here so many insult and hurt you, yet you love everyone. Maria replied, God has taught us to love everyone, not only friends, but also enemies. Varia asked, Can you love me too? Maria hugged her and they both began to weep. Not long afterward, Varia received Jesus as her personal savior. And she witnessed to everyone else about it. At the Communist Assembly, Varia went up the front and courageously spoke to the group about Jesus. Afterward, they took Varia away. When Maria visited Varia in prison, she asked, Varia, don't you regret what you did? No, she answered. And if they would free me, I would do it again and would tell them about the great love of Jesus. Don't think that I suffer. I'm very glad that he loves me so much and gives me the joy to endure for his name. Her friend was thin, pale and beaten, but her eyes shone with the peace of God and an unearthly joy. Varia was moved to an unknown location and months went by. Until Maria received a letter from Varia in a Siberian labor camp. And Varia wrote My heart praises and thanks God that through you he showed me the way to salvation. Now, being on this way, my life has a purpose. I know where to go and for whom I suffer. I feel the desire to tell and to witness to everybody about the joy of salvation that I have in my heart. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Nobody and nothing, neither prison nor suffering. The sufferings that God sends only strengthens us more and more in the faith in him. My heart is so full that the grace of God overflows. At work they curse and punish me, giving me extra work because I cannot be silenced. I must tell everyone what the Lord has done for me. All our brethren in the labor camp greet you and are glad that your faith in God is so powerful and that you praise him in your sufferings unceasingly. Yours, Varia. Like them, be willing to suffer unjustly because Jesus did that for you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who bore their unjust, completely unfair punishment as our sins were laid on him. Thank you that by them we are justified and forgiven, saved and sanctified. Pray, God, that when next and every time we Suffer and suffer unjustly, that we might remember him, look to him, cry out for your spirit's help and strength, and that you might help us to follow in his steps. Be always being thankful for the salvation that is obtained for us. Please, Father God, by your spirit, make us more like Jesus. Help us to love generously, to endure patiently. We ask, Father, in his name. Amen.